0: We don't do this uh, extremely often, but let's take a moment and let's uh, pray what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer together, although it's not truly the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's the Disciples Prayer, and uh, let's pray it with maybe the older, what you might call the, the King James Version. So we will include the Thys, and we'll uh, also use, as we get a little bit later into the prayer, we'll do the Trespass, and so that at least we can try to be on the same page. Let's pray together, uh, all together out loud. Amen. Amen. Uh, take your Bibles and uh, turn to Romans chapter seven. Our sermon text today is Romans chapter seven verses one through six. We pray that God would help us this morning. Romans seven one through six. Jason read Romans six fifteen through twenty three which is three things. It was our sermon text last week. It is, of course, the context for this week. But it also, uh, it's not merely context. It goes with uh, Romans 7, 1 through 6. So if you're physically able, stand uh, for the reading of God's word, Romans chapter 7. The title of the sermon this morning is Married to Another. Married to Another, Romans 7 beginning in verse one. You'll follow along with me. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Verse 4 of Romans chapter 7, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, verse six, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord. Let's remain standing for prayer. Lord, help us according to the prayer that you have taught us to pray. Or do we pray that petition given in the middle of the Lord's prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Oh Lord, forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors, forgive us our sins, O Lord. We come this morning as the people called Crossway Church and we make no uh, pretend, we make no pretension, Lord, that we are without sin. We pray as you taught us even daily, yes, daily, Lord, have mercy on us through Jesus Christ and through the cross of Christ, forgive us of our sin, We thank you that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sin, yes, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. Father, we pray for our church. Lord, we are certainly mindful of other churches in North Carolina and of your purpose in the world, but we pray also for our church family. Lord, we pray for those like Marcia Tucker one of our older sisters in Christ that we don't get to see physically with our eyes on a weekly basis, but we pray for Marcia as she has just lost her daughter through her marriage to Bob, Leslie. We pray that you would comfort this family. Lord, we continue to, to mention other things. Lord, we pray, of course, for the Varnells and their transition. Lord, we thank you for them. We pray for the Lanier family. Lord, that you would help them both in different places as Caleb serves us. So many things that we could mention, Lord. We thank you that you are a God who calls us to uh, bear our burdens unto you. Please help us now. Oh God, we pray, help us, not according to our energy, not according to our spirit, but according to your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You'll be seated. And of course, keep your Bibles open to Romans 7, 1 through 6 married to another. The verse that is immediately before our passage that we just read today, the immediately preceding context is perhaps for many of you a famous verse that says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Even as I mentioned that you might pray for Pastor James, even there in the service today, pray for me as we preach and pray for yourself and pray for all of us. I'm excited as we look into this part of God's word. It's only six verses, but as I like to say sometimes, it really is pregnant with meaning and with instruction for us as Christians. Harold's wife of forty five years had a very rough final nine months of her life. It pained Harold greatly to see his dear wife suffer the way she did because it was awful and because, well, he just really loved her. Their marriage was certainly not perfect, but they were best friends. They both knew the Lord in truth Harold, at age 67, was still active and in good health. Two years later, after his wife's death, Harold met and then moved pretty quickly to establish a serious relationship with a woman he met at church. Yes, ladies, he did mourn his wife, but he had been taught from more than one pastor based on Scripture and his own study of Scripture that the Lord could be pleased in this new marriage. Jessica is not doing well emotionally. She is 21. She grew up in church, a Bible-believing church, but she has just begun to sense that she is fighting a losing battle. It really has only started to dawn on her She is not married to her boyfriend, but it's not just their relationship, impure though it is. It's her whole life. It's not right. She has been hounded lately in a good way by a joyful, serious-minded friend she grew up with in church. As her friend has talked to her about the Bible and about Jesus, she feels conviction. Conviction, a word she remembers from church long ago. She is not even married, but she feels like she belongs in a committed way to something or to someone that controls her, and she doesn't like it. Friends, as we look at Romans 7, 1 through 6 today, we see that we are dead to the law. We see that we are dead to the law. Look at verse four with me, if you would. Romans 7, four. Paul writes to them, even as we may say today, knowing of course that he didn't write this directly to us, but Paul writes even to us, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead. Let me just here at the beginning, let me point out uh, a connection between our passage today and between Romans chapter six. Let me first of all point out a connection between our passage and between Romans chapter six, particularly the end of Romans chapter six. Look again, even though we just read it, look at verse four of, of chapter seven. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. In order, notice what he says here at the end of verse four, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now, you may notice there at the end of verse five, it speaks of to bear fruit for death. And at the end of verse four, it says that we may bear fruit for God. And so if we were to isolate one word, it would be what? It would be the word fruit. And I just wanna show you that you could draw an imaginary line back to chapter six. If you'll look there with me at verse 20, in the last paragraph of chapter six, Paul says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what, but what, what, verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And so there in verses 20 through 23 of Romans 6, we see this idea that he's talking about fruit. He's talking about sanctification and he's talking about fruit. Fruit, my friends, can be either good or bad. It depends on the root of the fruit which is to say it depends on the tree. Is the tree good or bad? Make the tree good or bad and the fruit will follow. He speaks, just as he does at the end of chapter six, he speaks about fruit here in chapter seven. Just making some connections. We drew that line there, but the most important line that you can draw from chapter six the most important line that I want you to see to draw from chapter six to our passage today is if you'll look at verse 15, Romans six fifteen. Paul says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? We pointed this out last week as he says, not under law, but under grace. And look at verse 14. That of course immediately precedes that. Paul says unequivocally, he says plainly uh, to these Roman Christians, to us today, he says, you are not under law, but under grace. All right, so so far, we've just simply, we've simply drawn some lines here. We drew a line from 7, 4, and 5, from 7, 4, and 5 back to 6, 20 through 22, and the line was brought together by the word fruit. And then the most important line that we draw from 6 to 7 is 6, 14, and 15 into verse 7. This is why chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 exists. In many ways, chapter 7, 1 through 6 exists because he brought up the subject. You see, he brought up the subject, first of all, not as a teaser, but he really didn't get into it in verses 14 and 15. you're, You're under the realm of grace You are no longer under the realm of of law. This is the main idea today, all right? The the key word, the key idea is that of law. I want you to see this. Again, look at verse one of chapter seven, and I want you to think about we we are dead to the law. We are released from the law. We are free if we are believers. All of this is if we are believers, we are free from the law. The law, the law. Romans 7, 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the law. My Bible doesn't say the law at the end of verse six. What does yours say? Probably not the law. Mine says the ESV. We serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code, like the 10 commandments, like the law. Now listen, the question before us this morning, the question before us, brothers and sisters today in 2021 is this, how are we going to bear fruit for God? How are we going to bear fruit for God? Are we going to bear fruit for God by our own efforts? Does it even matter if we bear fruit for God? Do we even really need to bear fruit for God? Are we going to help God show more of his grace by sinning more? Are we going to bear fruit for God? That's the key thing. Are we going to bear fruit for God through our own efforts? Does it even matter if we bear fruit for God? Is that even relevant? Are we going to bear fruit for God by helping him out and sinning more so that more of his grace will be shown? That's what Paul's been talking about previously. It's like a seesaw. It's like he has said there at the end of chapter five, at the end of chapter five, he said, you know, the law came in and it and it showed us how sinful we are and it inflamed our sin, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so we might think, well, if that's true, if our sin and the mul- multiplying of our sin causes God's grace to be highlighted all the more, then let's sit on this end of the seesaw and add more spoonfuls of sin to this end so that we weigh it down so that then God in his grace can show how awesome he is. And then his grace sits on the other side and flips us up in the air. And Paul says, no way, no way. Shall we sin so that grace may abound? No, no, that would be a patent misunderstanding. So we're left with the question, or none of those things are going to be the way that we bear fruit for God then. And surely we could bear fruit for God through the law, right? We could bear fruit for God through the law. And this passage says, no. It says you need to not only be divorced You need to be dead. Two things, and let me just go ahead and tell you them both. Number one is this. The Bible is clear that remarriage is allowed for believers when one spouse dies. We'll look at that somewhat briefly, and then we'll get into number two, which is this. The gospel is clear that our former marriage is done, and now we belong to another. Number two is going to be that the gospel is clear that our former marriage is done and now we belong to another. But let's not start there. Let's start with point number one. And this is verses two through three. Verses two through three. What is point number one again? The Bible is clear that remarriage is allowed for believers when one spouse dies. You with me? You with me? Death ends a marriage so the living spouse is free to marry in the Lord if they so choose. Death ends a marriage, so the living spouse is free to marry in the Lord if they so choose. Look at verses two and three. At first as I was studying this, I thought, you know what? And maybe in this sermon, I think I'll probably end up spending a good bit of time here and and we'll probably talk about Uh, As we look at verses two and three, we'll probably camp out a little bit and talk about marriage and divorce and remarriage. And you could go to verses two and three if you were doing a a study. If you wanted to do a topical study from the Bible, that would be nothing wrong with that. To, To dive into the whole idea of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. You could go right here, and that would be fine, I think, with the Apostle Paul to isolate, in a sense, these two verses. But even then, you would still want to read them in context. Verse two. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Or as the note in your Bible may say, the law concerning the husband. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress, If she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Let me say my point again. The Bible is clear that remarriage is allowed for believers when one spouse dies. again, just notice quickly what he's saying here. Uh, By the way, this verses two and three, what this is doing is furthering his explanation, is he's given an illustration of the main point that he wants to make. The the law, whether it's the Jewish law or whether it was the Roman law, uh, in many ways, this is kind of a, a general principle in one sense The law says that marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage as a covenant is permanent. And so there is something that can break a marriage and it is death. And if death breaks, specifically here, if death breaks the marriage of a believer, then the living spouse is free to remarry if he or she so chooses. If a woman goes and lives with another man While she is still married to the first man, she is an adulteress because her husband is still living. But if she goes and lives with another man and not only lives with that other man, but is married to that new man, her husband having died, then we're okay. And in some senses, we're more than okay. Turn with me for just a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 1 Corinthians 7:39 A wife is is what? A wife is bound a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, She is free to be married to whom she wishes. Somebody's pointed out that that was perhaps in some ways a a new thing, that it wasn't her brother that had to choose the new husband for her. It wasn't her father who had to choose. But here, the scripture says she's free to be remarried to whom she wishes. Only in the Lord. Of course, we say all believers should never even flirt with any marriage, second or first unless it's in the Lord. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 7, 40, yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. Back to Romans 7, two and three, death ends a marriage. So the living spouse is free to marry in the Lord if they so choose. That's my first of two points this morning. And that is not, the main point of the sermon. It's not the main point of the sermon because it is not the main point of the text. So our desire is that the main point of the text would be uh, here at our church, the main point of the sermon. And verses two and three are not the main point of the sermon. Verses two and three are an illustration or an explanation of the main point. So what is the main point? Well, the main point he introduces in verse one. Let me just tell you what verses one through six look like. Verses one through six is verse one, he introduces the principle, okay? Verse one, he introduces the principle. Verses two through three, he illustrates it. Verses four, verse four, he gets to the main point. And verses five and six, don't skip over those because they crucially elaborate verse four. What is the main principle? The main principle is this: is that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. It's really simple. In one sense, the law is binding on a person. If a person dies, then the law is not binding on that person anymore. Look at it in verse one. Here's the principle. Or do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law although by the way, I don't think he's only intending this for Jewish believers in Christ. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. You you do know that, right? My dear brothers, I mean, even even those of you here at the the church in Rome who aren't Jewish believers, uh, many of you were, were God fearers. You went to the synagogue and you knew the law. And you do know just this general principle, right? I'm not telling you any rocket science here. You do know that that if a person dies, that the law's not binding on them anymore. And it's just like in marriage. He says in verses two through three. So what is his main point? If his main point is not that the Bible is clear that remarriage in certain circumstances is just fine, His main point is that the gospel is clear. Listen to me. The gospel is clear that our former marriage is done and we now belong to another. What he is saying in this passage, what this passage is saying to us today is that we Jewish believers, Gentile believers, we were married to a good husband who was really bad. We were married to a good husband who was really bad. Let me simply say we were married to the law and the law, although good, and you might say inherently good, the law kicked our sin into high gear. You start a fire and you want that fire to go a little bit more and the law and sin, it's like fire and kerosene. The law is good, but the law, Paul can speak of it so negatively Paul can speak of the law so negatively that he says, the law was your husband. And do not think that once you come to Christ, you need a little law. You need a little external help. The law is tangible. We like the law. Every unbeliever deals with God on the basis of law. Every unbeliever deals with God on the basis of the law because it's comfortable, because it's comfortable. It's external, it's somewhat tangible, as I've said, give, especially as Americans, give us something to do. Give me something to do. And even through grace alone, when we become Christians, the law feels comfortable. But this passage says, the law, believers... Believers, the law was your husband, and if you want to in any way go with Christ, you can't have Christ and Moses. You can't have Christ and the law. In fact, not only does it say you need to get rid of the law, it says as a believer, you are dead to the law. You are dead to the law, which by the way, I don't think we as Gentile believers, just one implication... Why would we be interested in practicing certain things according to the Mosaic law? I think he's clearly talking in this passage particularly about the law of Moses. He is not saying that any part of the Old Testament is bad. He is affirming all of the Old Testament is the Word of God for us. But within the Old Testament, I say that he's highlighting the law of Moses And so why would any Christian today necessarily want to say, I want to do law of Moses type things? You see what I mean? I think it'd be cool to do law of Moses type things. Observe certain feasts when he's saying right here, Jewish believers, you are dead to the law. If Jewish believers are dead to the law, then what about the rest of us? And he's particularly saying to Jewish believers, don't you know? Don't you know that you are dead to the law? You were married to the law, a good husband who ruined your life, not because the law is bad, but because our sin, our sin leads to death. And he says, you need to be divorced. No, that's way too weak. You need to be dead to the law. The gospel is clear that we have died Here's the fullness of what I want to say. The gospel is clear that we have died. Our former marriage is therefore done. And we belong now to Christ. The whole thing he's saying is that you are married to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? What is is the picture of marriage? What is the marriage? It's Christ and the church. Christ and the church. He says, you, you are married to another in the same way that you may look at it. Nobody has to be remarried if they're a believer and their spouse dies. Paul made that clear in 1 Corinthians. But you could look at it. You could look at it as this spouse died such that now I'm married to another person. And that's what he's saying. He says, likewise, my brothers, in verse four. My brothers. Do you notice something there? Verse four, my brothers. Verse one, brothers. In other words, who is addressed here? Believers, are you a believer? Are you a believer? Are you a brother? Whether you're a male or female, you become a brother by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. He says, my brothers, likewise, verse four, likewise, you have, you've been remarried. You belong to another. And oh, by the way, don't mix the two. Because there is no mixture in one sense. Properly understood, there is no mixture of Moses or Christ. It's either law or Christ. It's either one or the other. The gospel is clear that we have died. Our former marriage is done and we belong now to Christ. Now just look at this it's interesting. Verse four, this is his main point, his main point of application. What's the application? Well, I don't invent application. Here's his application by the way, that he gave to them. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now, if you pay really close attention, it's interesting what he's doing with his illustration in verses two and three, and then his point in verse four, because of course, in what he said in two and three about the marriage it was who? It was the woman's husband who died. Do you see? The woman's husband died. But now in verse four, if we carry the illustration from two and three, it's, it's the woman who dies. I, I want you to see this. He's, given, he's helping us because we all need help. He said, let me give you a picture. You know, if, if, a, if a wife, if her husband dies, she can remarry in the Lord. That's okay. Because marriage is severed upon death. But now in verse four, the picture becomes of the wife dying. In other words, it's of the believer who dies. In other words, he says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died. He doesn't say your husband died, which would be the law. He doesn't say the law died. He says you have died. And the reason, as we've said before, listen to me, the reason that he says you have died is because he goes on to very plainly say Christ has died. And the good news of the gospel is that if we can carefully use this language, is that God killed his son on the cross. He, he put his son to death on the cross so that the son bore the wrath of the father in our place so that who put Jesus on the cross, we did and certainly God the father did. And so that when Jesus dies on the cross for us, uniquely nobody can die like Jesus died on the cross. But we died with him through the body of Christ, it says in verse 4. Do you see that? You also have died to the law through the body of Christ. When Christ died on the cross, not being a sinner at all, he died to sin. When Jesus died on the cross, the death he died, he died to sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he died to the law, being under the law, but not being a sinner in any way himself. And in the death of Christ, in the death and the resurrection of Christ, if we are united to Christ by faith, if we are united to Christ by faith, then we too died with him through his body. This is the good news of the gospel is that that which we could never accomplish by our law keeping, God accomplished by Christ's death on the cross, that which we could not do by our performance, God does by his sheer grace alone in putting Jesus on the cross and in his death, We find our death. How are we going to bear fruit for God? Does it matter that we bear fruit for God? You are not saved by bearing fruit for God. And no Christian will ever completely fail to bear fruit for God. No Christian will ever completely fail to bear fruit for God. Look at Jesus one of his most famous stories, the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, the last soil represents the Christian and the last soil I would say alone and the the one who bears fruit some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. How will we bear fruit for God? Will we bear fruit for God through gritting our teeth, through the discipline of the law, through our own performance? I need to do better. I need to become a better person. Or even we might say, and it's not terrible to say this, I need to become a better Christian. We need to go deeper in grace is what we need. We need to go deeper in grace because what he's saying here, he's talking about the Mosaic law and he says, the Bible, all of it is God's word, but the Mosaic law served its purpose. The law served its purpose. Jesus has come. Jesus is the one to whom the law pointed. He is the one who fulfills the law. And therefore, the law did what God wanted it to do. So why are you going back to the law? You can't grow in the grace of Jesus in new covenant, new covenant, spirit-wrought grace. There is a newness to the new covenant where the Holy Spirit is poured out. And he makes this crystal clear in verse six that now we live according to the outpouring of the Spirit and not according to the written code, which does pertain to the Ten Commandments. When he talks about the written code, is that the Word of God? Absolutely, that's the Word of God. Should you read the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible? You better. It's the Word. It's it's about our God. It's Scripture. It testifies to God. But he says, particularly the law of Moses, the law of Moses served its purpose. We are in a new realm. Are you in a new realm? Are you? Believers are. Believers are. Verse five. For while we were living in the flesh. Anybody have a testimony that would mirror this this morning? Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, but now, We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code, like kerosene on a fire. As he goes on to say, actually, in verse 7, we're not looking at this except very briefly, what then shall we say? that the law is sin by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Romans 3.20, seems like it's a negative view that Paul has toward the law. Romans 3.21, it seems like Paul has a negative view to the law. Check these later, Romans 3.20, Romans 3.21, Romans 4.15, Paul is not positive about the law. Romans 4.15, Romans 5.20, he is not positive about the law. Romans 6.14.15, he is not positive about the law. He's negative about the law. Choose your name. He's negative Nancy or negative Nellie about the law. What do you think about the law, Paul? Well, he finally comes here in chapter seven and he says in seven through 12, listen, in seven through 12, he says the law is good and the law is holy and the law mixed with our sin is a dynamite, terrible combination. And we need to be under grace, the reign of grace, slaves of righteousness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Remarriage, verses two and three, is, is fine in the Lord apart from the death of a spouse. But Paul's main point is that we as believers belong to another and our marriage is done to the law. Robbie is 35, He has a family and a pretty decent marriage, even as they have also benefited from pastoral counseling from time to time. Robbie was converted to Christ five years ago. He would tell you plainly, I wasn't the worst sinner in terms of the big things like drugs, sleeping around, and murder. However, I know that I was a slave to sin. I know that I was a slave to sin, and through the gospel, Jesus has freed me. He has made me a happy slave of righteousness. I even tried, Robbie says, to really do right in the years leading up to my salvation, but that only made things worse. I came to the end of myself. I found rest in Jesus and in what he did on the cross and in rising from the dead for me. I want to live for God, and I know that even that is his work in me. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for Romans 7, 1 through 6. What a most glorious passage as we learn about marriage and about the permanence of marriage and about the temporariness of marriage. But we thank you that the marriage of Christ to the church, that our marriage to you, Lord Jesus, is actually and truly permanent. We thank you that having been raised from the dead, you will never die again. And that we are raised with you, raised with Christ, married to another for eternity. Oh God, may we be sure that we are part of this glorious marriage, and may we rejoice. Help us to serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.